believe it's salvageable, crazy as that sounds, because I've talked to some people in Arizona that, that I trust, and granted, there hasn't been a decision yet on, on Kingsbury's future, but they think there's a path to Cliff Kingsbury staying there because he's had really no GM all season. Uh, it's been a personal department in flux, and they've had crazy injuries. So uh, that could give him a pass here a little bit. We'll see, though. So I, I don't know. The, the relationship between Kyler Murray and, and Cliff Kingsbury is at the heart of the problem. That would have to improve somehow. Now, they have a lot of shared history, so maybe they can come to a sweet spot. And if they can get better offensive line play, better offensive line personnel, I think that could go a long way for both of them to just kind of feel comfortable. Because really, they just couldn't move the ball all year. And, and that was part of the frustration. So if they're having more success, um, maybe, it, maybe it comes to that. That's Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, who was one of the co-authors along with Joe, uh, Josh Weinfuss uh, on that article that came out on ESPN.com last week about whether or not the Cliff Kingsbury Cardinals situation is salvageable. Mm. I mean, that's the thesis question here, mm-hmm. isn't it? I mean, that's what the Arizona Cardinals have to figure out right yeah, now. Yeah, it is. It's exactly what the Arizona Cardinals have to figure out right now. I, I think that, um, as I said earlier, the, the, the component, the relationship between him and Kyler Murray, it sounds so bad and so broken that that alone would seem to necessitate a change. And and I think that the more and more you hear how unhappy Cliff Kingsbury is, even though he refutes that, he's wearing it on his face and you, you could see at the end of the last game just it all kind of feel like it was crashing down around him it, it almost feels to me like he would like to get fired I'm not saying that he feels that way because Cliff does have a very good work ethic um, but I, I, I do think that if he's in a situation now with a quarterback that that he can't vibe with that a quarterback that he can't get to listen to him and more importantly a quarterback who according to that ESPN.com piece a quarterback that doesn't always run the plays he wants mm-hmm. and so I think I mean the feeling of 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 having very little impact and being meaningless that's gotta that can't be easy for him again he didn't hire his own assistant coaches he doesn't feel like he according to the story he was given the resources he hasn't had a general manager in the building uh, which is exactly what Steve Wilkes went through during his single season with the team and then this dynamic with the quarterback it's he's not even running the offense that he's known to run in college so i i don't know how much this even appeals to cliff kingsbury other from other than a from the financial side well let's go back to that point and it did appear in the espn.com article that a source close to kingsbury says he doesn't feel like he's been given the resources to win which we both Dismissed as yeah. kind of a joke. Kind of a joke. Now, you could make that argument maybe on the defensive side mm-hmm. of the ball this Without year. A doubt. However, the defense, by and large, has played well enough for this team to win games. They gave up 19 points on Sunday night. Even a depleted team with nothing to play for against Tom Brady gave up 19 points. They lost the football game. That should be enough to win a football game with the resources Ideally, that the Cardinals have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of the story said um, Cliff doesn't feel like he's been given the opportunity to be great, which is what he wants to be. I mean, again, we're talking about year four right yeah. now. Yeah, I, and and I, I have said this several times during the season. If your offensive system is predicated on 100% health from all of your first string players, 
You're doing it wrong. Yes, that's amen to that because you're never going to have that in the NFL. I, I th- also think the real damning thing to me is this idea that he wanted Sean Coogler gone long before the Mexico City incident. And you, that, that bears examination because the working theory is that Sean Coogler kept disagreeing with Cliff Kingsbury's philosophy that he wanted to run the ball more and more and more. And if the owner says, no, we're not going to do that, the reason they promoted Sean Coogler was sort of to be to, to, to get Cliff better acclimated, to get this offense better acclimated acclimated to winning games in the NFL and the the two the pass happy the four wides the the not attacking the line of scrimmage that stuff was perceived as flaws of Cliff Kingsbury so if Cliff wants one of his assistants that he did not pick gone because he might be usurping his authority which is what would be happening if the assistant uh, head coach didn't or whatever his Sean Coogler's title was at the time, if he didn't agree with what Cliff wanted, that's an issue. Uh And then the owner, if the owner says, no, sorry, we're not firing him, that would tell Cliff Kingsbury, I have got no juice in this organization at all. It's true. But also, you know, in the the previous segment, we talked about this Sean Payton question that's looming over the NFL uh, in Arizona, one of those places where it's a possibility when you look at the, the Vegas odds of where Sean Payton will be the next head coach. But if if Michael Bidwell comes to the determination, okay, it's not working out with Cliff. Mm-hmm. He's not happy. We're not happy. It's time to make a change. I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to pay this this buyout, whatever it is, on that contract that we haven't seen the language of. You have to consider it, it, one thing to consider is obviously the big question: What coach is going to come in here and say, "I can fix Kyler Murray"? Yeah. But the issue with that is. It's not a head coach looking at this situation and saying, you know, I can work with Kyler Murray that we saw for three and a half years in the NFL. Kyler Murray is going to be different when he comes back. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that. Mm-hmm. I do too. Because of, you know, the, the severity of the injury that we're talking about, the recovery it will take to get back. And we're talking about a quarterback who is very elusive, but also very averse to physical contact. We've seen that consistently. That changes a guy mentally. Is is this is this what spurs Kyler Murray to to be a harder edge athlete? I, I don't I don't know. I don't either. I, I would I would tend to think the opposite would be true. I, yes, I, and I've said this repeatedly. I think he's the ideal candidate to grind through rehab, and I think he's the ideal candidate to struggle psychologically trusting his knee again. I, I think both are true. And so I think he's going to put himself in a position to come back. And I think physically he'll be good with all of this, with the grind of rehab. But I I think that psychological barrier is going to be significant with him, man. It's guys like Joe Burrow, guys like Carson Palmer. If if they if they know all they need is that need to be structurally sound so they can plant in the pocket. And that's that's a little different than feeling like, okay, I have got to have elite wheels to play this game. Yeah, it's all up in the air, man. It, it's I, I just I'm just stunned here. I, I go back to the Hard Knocks episode after that Vegas game, and I cannot get the sight of James Conner screaming into Kyler Murray's face. You're special, man. You're special. And think about that compared to what is said about Kyler Murray now. It's 
Staggering. Look, I think staggering. that might be the last time anybody has used the word special to describe Kyler Murray because mm-hmm. that was the out, that was the special outlier of what he put out there on the football field mm-hmm. this year is that fourth quarter and, and overtime against, uh, against Vegas. Yeah. Other than that, he was an average quarterback this year. Yeah. Prior to this year, I think people on spec and on trend would have had him top 10, right around 9, 10. Right I remember having those discussions going into the year, and yeah. that's where he landed that's on our where list, he landed. And, but, but now he's been passed. He's been passed by dudes. He's fallen down that that, that hierarchy, but he, he's clearly got the gifts where he can get it back. Oh, absolutely. It's just, it's just a matter of getting the right system, the right mentor, uh, and the right mindset from him. It, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a, a real rocky haggard growth uh, pattern for Kyler Murray. And there's obviously a couple more big steps still that he needs to take, and, and hopefully that hopefully this injury is going to clarify a lot of stuff. That's what you do. Yeah. You open up the checkbook, you, and you present the Blake check to Lincoln Riley. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, man, there's one, no there's no Heisman trophies in the NFL, Vinny. One thing would be certain. Ky, Kyler would win the Heisman, Heisman next trophy. Year. That's right. That's right. <laughs> listen, I, listen, the Sean Payton thing, it, it, if Michael Bidwell wanted to kind of reverse this trend, it's right there for him. Right there for him. But now you're recruiting a, a coach not to – you get the coach, Kyler Murray. It's, you have to fix Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. It's a different recruitment well, than it's six months ago. It's, but it, no, it's, that's not – that's the recruitment – is the money that it's going to take to, to sign Sean Payton and the power you're going to have to give him. But even with the fixing thing, Jarrett, that appeals to a lot of coaches. I mean, mm-hmm. football coaches have, oh, yeah. big, have big egos. They're tinkerers. Yeah. And they always feel like I can make the situation oh, better. They all do. Yeah. They all do. But it does change the recruitment. There's no doubt about it. Coming up next, the Phoenix Suns got their mojo back last night in Memphis. Was it a 48-minute phenomenon or something they can build on moving forward? We'll get into it next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, live from the Auction Community Studios here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Last time we uh, had our first meeting at the home, at home, you know, them guys really out-rebounded us. Uh, they was in our pain a lot. I think tonight we really locked in as a team and, you know, just got to the grid and grind of just playing Suns basketball, you know, defense the first and then offense second, you know, letting it create our offense back, back, in, uh, back on the other end. But just everybody just coming together, man, and being on the same page. Coach Mont, you know, set the tone early that, you know, teams ain't respecting us, man. And, you know, we took, we take, we taking that to heart. Big time, man. Yeah, no, we just got back on our feet. It's DeAndre Aiden following last night's Suns win 125-108 over the Memphis Grizzlies at FedEx Forum. Suns get win number 20 on the year. But the part that resonated with me there is at the very end when mm-hmm. DeAndre Aiden says, Coach Monty said teams aren't respecting us. Yeah. That looked like a disrespected team last night. It did. The way they came out together, focused. They were feisty. They played with an edge that we haven't seen. There was some trash talking going back and forth. And if you want to talk about teams that talk a lot of trash right now, the Memphis Grizzlies are maybe number one in the league. Mm -hmm. And not only did the Suns talk with them, but they backed it up. Yeah. Yeah, listen, and and I think that was one of the things that I really liked about last night's game is because I agree with Monty Williams. That is exactly the vibe that I've been getting from this basketball team for too much of the season. And that is a team that was just getting 
predated on, pushed around. Um, Marty Williams used the word pray to describe how he felt that his basketball team was feeling. Uh-huh. And he said he didn't like that. They had to get back to, to, to hunting a little bit. And I think, I think there was an attitude adjustment last night that was very, very necessary. And I, I'm sure it came easier against a team like the Grizzlies that, you know, it kind of clowned the Suns in Phoenix a week ago. And, and I think that they, they gave the, they gave the Grizzlies an attitude and a mindset the Grizzlies were not expecting from the Suns. Mm-hmm. Cause they, I think the Grizzlies took this court thinking, oh, that's that soft team from Phoenix. They, they got nothing for us. And they did. And it was, it was, you know, the, it was an interesting change in the starting lineup where Jock Landale and Tory Craig were both in the starting lineup. And it worked. It, it, it helped the team play competitive defense the entire night. And that second quarter they put on them was a thing of beauty. Absolutely. 42 points in the quarter. They played good defense in the quarter. Uh, Monty Williams hinted at it before the game. Hey, with what happened last week in Phoenix and Memphis just lived on the boards, just kill bludgeoned the Suns on the boards. They needed to match size with size. So Jock Landau got his first start of the year, played very well, only had three rebounds, but scored the ball well. He got to the free throw line and he gave the different look defensively. Here was uh, DeAndre Ayton. Uh, on Jock starting uh, alongside him. Tonight we just, me and Jock, the black coach, changed up the lineup where, you know, adding some more size, putting T-Greg at that three. I mean, me and Jock just bang all night. And it gave me more confidence to deal with Adams because we would be fighting things, jump ball, but another big would get the ball. So all tonight was just really stationary and, you know, the physicality was set for a legal limit tonight. Paid off with a little bit more size. You, you bumped Mikel Bridges mm-hmm. down to the two um, to give you a little bit more size there. Um, Tory Craig, who you singled out uh, as kind of a spark plug for the Suns last night, 10 points in 21 minutes, 7 rebounds, blocked 3 shots, but played with a real energy a lot of he, Yes, he played with a lot of I'm getting up into you kind of defense, and, and you like to see that. And I think that, that that challenging brand of defense, I don't think the Grizzlies were expecting that. No. When you, when you, when you get down to the nuances of last night's game, that the, the, a defender moving up into the offensive player like Torrey Craig did, that's a very aggressive thing to do. And you're declaring, you're declaring a certain malice, and it's, uh, it's very powerful on a basketball court. Yep. Uh, and, and I thought I thought Torrey Craig just brought that to the team last night. Here was Torrey Craig after the game. I feel like the first time players, they tried to punk us. They tried to, uh, they was talking a little bit, and this kind of team they were. So I just wanted to let them know we, we could do the same thing, and even more. And, uh, we were able to make some great defensive plays tonight. They felt, they definitely felt us tonight, and um, they definitely felt our presence, and that was a good win. It was also yeah. weird in that nobody in that game with as shorthanded as the Suns were, nobody played more than twenty seven minutes. Weird, which is weird. A plus moving forward. Uh-huh. The other thing I wanted to touch on from last night's game, Bick, was um, Mikel Bridges, who got into double figures with ten points. We mentioned he got bumped down to the two, starting there alongside Chris Paul in the backcourt, but. Mikel Bridges is in a bit of an offensive funk right now. And, and not only is it just not shooting the ball particularly well, but decisions with the basketball. We saw a couple of just uncharacteristically weird plays at the end of the Denver game from Mikel Bridges where he had the, the, just the, the the weird offensive foul going to set a screen and just crashed into the defender. Uh, then it had the bad turnover where 
And I know you talked about it yesterday. He's got to be the guy to take that shot. Indeed. And he didn't take the shot, and the Suns lose by three. But last night, again, some just puzzling decisions with the basketball for, for Mikel Bridges. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I hope yeah. it's just a funk that he's going to work himself out. Yeah, of. he's. I know. Yes, I think he's he's looking kind of locked up mentally. A little bit. I, and I, it's, it's different. I just, I think that, I, I think that watching Mikael Bridges, the idea of him morphing into this two-way all-star might be a little ambitious for him. I think he's, I think he's going to be what he, what he has been, a, a, a stellar complimentary piece. I don't think he's got the, I can create my own shot. I can jack up threes and make them repeatedly and consistently. I don't know if he's got it. No Cam Johnson, no Drake Crowder. And then at various points, no Aiton, no Booker, no Chris Paul. There's been opportunities all season for him to be that consistent number two scorer. And yeah. yeah. And, and he's the closest thing you have to mm-hmm. a constant in terms of availability. He plays every single night. But last four games, Mikel shooting 36% from the floor, 28% from three-point range. Remember, he was in the mid-40s for much of the first month of the season. Nine and a half points per game. And he's also working on a weird five-game streak of at least two turnovers, which wow. you don't get a, a lot wow. from Mikel. So no, um, yeah, I think he's yeah, I think he's so in his head a little listen, bit. Again, and, and maybe he's playing less than a hundred percent. We and, don't know. And again, there's listen. I I think there's issues all up and down this basketball team when you talk about individual players and holes and and things they need to address. And I think we're all quite certain the Suns are going to be a different basketball team. By the time the trade deadline comes and goes and what that looks like, we're going to find out. What they need to do, as you said earlier, is just tread water. Get through get through these next X amount of weeks at, a, at playing 500 basketball, stay a handful of games over 500, and then be ready when it all kind of, when, when, when everything starts to come back to you. When Devin Booker comes back to you, when Cam Johnson uh, rehabs and is ready to play again, and, and when this new piece, whether it's Kyle Kuzma or whoever it happens to be gets assimilated in the offense just tread water that's that's why last night's win was so big they can go and do this against the wizards and get a couple victories and a couple of nights at a time when they felt very vulnerable that's a great way to kind of get into this road trip. I know, uh, based on what happened in the offseason with the Suns, that the, the January 19th game against Brooklyn has been circled because it's the first game uh, that they'll play uh, after that, that, that de- first home game they'll play after that trade deadline. We don't know what the Suns are going to look like if they look diff- different at all. Mm-hmm. But there's 10 games between now and then. That game also kind of starts a stretch for the Suns where... In terms of home games, it eases up a little bit mm-hmm. because you got four games left on this trip: Washington, Toronto, the Knicks, and Cleveland. Then they come home for two: Miami and Cleveland, two tough teams. Then they go immediately back out on the road for four more games on a tough trip: Golden State, Denver, Minnesota, and Memphis again. Um, so that's ten games. Yeah, you find a way to go five and five there. I think you're in good shape because you, the health has to be better than what it is right now. We don't yeah. have a timetable on Devin Booker, which is concerning. Um, you know, the other concerning part is when it's a reaggravation of an injury like a oh, groin. Yeah. Oh yeah. You tend to be more cautious. The second you have around. to. You have to because because you've been fooled once already by what you thought was structurally healed and sound, and it wasn't. So, yeah, so again, it's you just generally double up on all that, and I don't, I don't know when we're going to see Book again. That's no. why That's why set set reasonable, achievable goals. I like that. There you go. Christmas through uh, New Year's Day is the lowest week of the year for blood donations, and January is the highest blood usage month of the year for patients. Please consider making a blood donation on Sunday, January 8th. 
at Vitalant's Saving Arizona Blood Drive. Schedule your appointment now at vitalant.org slash save AZ. Coming up next, we'll hit the big stories of the day. Zach Larson will take us through the Rush Hour Reboot. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Getting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. we got to hit the big stories of the day, courtesy of Zach Larson, who will take us through the reboot right now. Take it away, Zach. All right, let's start off. We've got some Phoenix Suns basketball to talk about. Last night, they put an end to a three-game losing streak, taking down the Memphis Grizzlies 125-108. to The Grizzlies, one of three teams that defeated the Suns last week. Here's what DeAndre Ayton had to say post-game about teams maybe losing respect for the Phoenix Suns over the past couple weeks. Last time we uh, had, had our first meeting at, the, at home, you know, them guys really out-rebounded us. Uh, it was in our pain a lot. I think tonight we really locked in as a team and, you know, just got to the grid and grind of just playing Suns basketball, you know, defense the first and then offense second, you know, letting it create our offense back, back, in, uh, back on the other end. But just everybody just coming together, man, and being on the same page. Coach Mont, you know, set the tone early that, you know, teams ain't respecting us, man. And, you know, we took, we take, we taking that to heart big time, man. Yeah, no, we just got back on our feet. Dan, you mentioned it earlier. They stood their ground. They fought back after taking a gut punch last week to the same team. Does this win signal a change in mentality for the Suns, and should they be feared and respected once again? Yeah, They're going to have to repeat it. They're going to have to have this kind of same kind of tenacity uh, every night they take the floor until Devin Booker gets back. If they do that, I, th- I like their chances um, in terms of competing. Um, it, it, that remains to be seen. I think this was a nice, it, this was a nice dignity play for the Suns last night, they, and now they've just got to you know, continue to have that same mindset. With the uncertain nature of, of the NBA that we talked about earlier, you never know what team's going to show up. I mean, Memphis looked like a totally different team than they mm-hmm. looked like last week, but yep. I think the Suns kind of started this push in the Denver game. I mean, that was a game that, that could have gone sideways for a number of different That's reasons. True. That's true. Um, you know, they, they went against Nikola Jokic, who had a historic triple-double in that, and uh, they made a lot of shots down the stretch, and, and the Suns fought and, and scratched and clawed in that game. So we got a two-game sample maybe of this new attitude, but... Yeah, Vic hit it on the head. You, you got to repeat it. You got to repeat it tonight in Washington. A team that you should beat, a team that you're better than, and a team if you're using revenge as your motivation, you have that uh, in in the rearview mirror mm-hmm. as well. So we'll see if they can bottle it back up. Yeah, after the win, Phoenix currently is fifth in the Western Conference with a 20 and 15 record, six and 10 now on the road. Seeding from the regular season, obviously, it doesn't have a big impact on the postseason, considering what we saw last season with the messy finish for the Suns, and it's clear that this year the approach to the regular season hasn't been the same. For a team that hasn't been as strong on the road as they were last year, home court though, it might be a factor in the postseason for the Suns. With that in mind, what is the lowest seed or spot in the Western Conference that you guys would be comfortable and confident in the Phoenix Suns contending for a title? Oof. Um... 
It's hard to say now because we don't know what the team is going to look like. So I, I, I guess yeah. the pat answer, the fallback answer is fourth. You want to have home court advantage in the first round. Although we saw what home court advantage meant to this team last year to get a game yeah. seven at home. Four or five. Fourth, yeah. yeah. Four or five matchup is, was going to be is going to be a toss up anyways. Yeah, I agree. So, so I think if, if you're asking me what it would be, I would say it'd be a top two seed because of the depth in the West. And if you're not that, which I don't think the Suns will be, you're going to have a tough first round series. Yes. So I, I think that's the answer. I think they're going to have a tough first round series. Not that they can't handle it, but I think they're going to have a tough first round series. All right, last Suns point we have here. And it might not seem as serious as Chris Paul made it last night, but CP3 did exit last night's game with a left half injury in the third quarter. He told reporters that he will be good to go tonight against the Wizards. Here's what Coach Monty Williams had to say on the injury. I think he got knee the calf, you know, because I, I couldn't tell if he was grabbing his behind his knee or his calf muscle, but I, I don't know for sure. He's, he was okay. He knocked down a couple shots after that, and I felt like he was okay, and I saw him sprint back into transition. Didn't look like anything was wrong with him. So it sounds like it's all good and nothing too serious, but with the way how we mentioned how the regular season is being treated compared to last season, and with Paul already missing a handful of games this season, Booker also coming back on Christmas night and only to re-aggravate his groin injury and sit out the rest of the game and last night's game, should the Suns consider sitting Chris Paul over the next couple games to rest and heal up? I think you rely on the player. If Chris Paul says he can go, you, you trust him, especially since you know what he said last week, Bick, about hey, I, you know, yeah. I'm not going to load manage this year. If I'm able to play, I'm going to play. Um, and they just need, uh, quite honestly, they need bodies right now. I don't know what it would look like without Listen, Chris Paul. Listen, yeah, that's see to me that I would I would agree with you in a in a best case scenario. I would say that tonight would be a night that I would sit down Chris Paul. Really, it's the second of a back to back. I would say you're not playing tonight. But I, I think numbers wise and where they're at, it's tough to do. They've they just I don't know if they could piece through a game without him right now and give themselves a chance to win. But I do think in theory that is the one that's the one dividing line that I would jump in if it was my basketball team and I would tell Chris Paul, This is I respect you and I respect your mindset, but the one thing we're not gonna do is play you on back to back games. Yeah. I've already seen it. He only had to play twenty three minutes last night. So maybe that's some okay. consideration too. We'll just have to wait and see till tonight. They're taking on the Washington Wizards at 5 o'clock. All right, we'll wrap up with some football. J.J. Watt, you've probably already heard it now, but he is hanging up the cleats at the conclusion of this season, which means we have just two more games to hear some of this. Shotgun snap, Herbert straight drop back pressure coming, and Herbert is sacked at the 40-yard line. J.J. Watt. As an Arizona Cardinal, J.J. Watt has 10 and a half sacks, 14 tackles for loss, and two forced fumbles over 21 games in two years, pending any incredible stat lines that he puts up over the pa- or final two games. How will you two remember the J.J. Watt tenure in Arizona? Um, I'm going to remember it as being very pleasantly surprised at his level of productivity and blown away at the quality of leadership and and just how how polished he is about everything. I will... A lot of the same things that Bick said, but I will forever wonder what last year could have looked like if J.J. Watt didn't get hurt. Now, a lot of it went on the DeAndre Hopkins injury, too, when the uh, the Cardinals' offense kind of sputtered, didn't have a, an identity, but... 
people don't talk about J.J. Watt, you know, seven games last year that he played, the Cardinals were 7-0, and and as soon as he left, things kind of started to go south. They didn't have that steadiness on the defensive line. They didn't have that leadership. I will forever wonder, and we'll never get an answer to it, how different last year's conclusion could have looked if J.J. Watt was able to stay healthy. And maybe that's not fair to J.J. Watt for everything, mm. but... <laughs> It, yeah, it, it, you're kind of conditioned as an Arizona sports fan to think about things like that. The what ifs in Phoenix and Arizona sports, the, that list is endless. And I, you know, that, that one is, is on the list for me. There we go. We're all rebooted. Thank you, Zach. Hey, Zach. Rush Hour Reboot every morning at uh, 730 where we hit the big stories of the day. You can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line. It's open at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, more on that J.J. Watt retirement. Yeah, we got just a glimpse of him in Arizona, but some great stories from his time in the NFL and mostly in Houston. Next, it's Bickley and Murata's Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. First ballot Hall of Famer, three NFL Defensive Player of the Year awards uh, tied for the most in history. After his rookie year, I talked to Wade Phillips, and Wade Phillips said, J.J. Watt's going to, he said, be a bust. I said, be a bust? He said, I mean, he's going to have a bust. I said, what are you talking about? He said, he's going to have a bust in the Hall of Fame. I said, you're crazy. That guy didn't do anything as a rookie. And it shows how much Wade knows since he coached Reggie Watt, Bruce Smith, and, uh, and Bob Miller, Ricky Jackson, a lot of great Hall of Fame players. And he said, you know, he puts Watt right up there with Reggie White and Bruce Smith. And that's about the ultimate compliment. He overcame injuries. He had 16 sacks and 18. He's played really well this year. And I thought he'd play another couple of years. I was as stunned as anybody when I saw the tweet. It's John McClain, longtime Houston sports writer. Uh, he kind of is Houston football in terms of uh, being a, a history, uh, a, a source of history. Uh, covered J.J. Watt his whole career. Surprised by the fact that J.J. Watt retiring at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I think gauging from that quote, certainly more surprised than you or I were. Now, I'm mildly surprised with the way J.J. Watt is playing. You'll often see players of that quality, if they're being this productive at this point in their careers, they will keep it going. But considering everything, the family, mm-hmm. uh, the growing family for J.J. Watt, he became a father for the first time a couple of months ago. The health issues with having his, his heart shocked, that'll put things in perspective for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm not as surprised as John McClain is. No, I, uh, again, a cynical me thought he was in a major contract drive the last few weeks and he was going to go sign someplace else and try to win a championship someplace else. And, and that hasn't been the case at all. I, I think the timing of this is very interesting. I think to to get out ahead and do it after the last home game um, was a real smart thing to do because you kind of preempt all the end of the season yuckiness that's going to be a, attached to the Cardinals, the eulogy, if you will. Mm-hmm. That is going to be happening. So J.J. Watt got out ahead of that, had a little kind of uh, a very nice circle of life celebration, and, and now he's taken it to the house. He handled his retirement better than Larry Fitzgerald did. That's all Cardinal fans ever wanted from Fitz yeah. was that. Uh-huh. And so, so I think I think there's that. I think there's the fact that um, 
probably a couple of different factors here. He probably said, okay, do I want to continue to play football in Arizona? Uh, the way things are going with this football team, next year is not going to be a good year, so I really don't want that. Now, do I want to go chase a ring elsewhere? Well, I don't know. My wife and my loves it in Arizona, and now I'm a, a father, and I, I certainly don't want to uproot myself from them. So I think I think I think there's a lot of things that went into this decision, and and I think on on another level, had JJ Watt, Watt selfishly went to the Cardinals and said, "Yeah, listen, I'd love to do an extension here," the Cardinals would owe him that for the level of play and the level of leadership that he has brought. And yet, I don't know if this team could afford a luxury item, a sixteen million dollar a year late thirties defensive player. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it wouldn't even though if it's JJ Watt, it's not the wisest of investments. Let, let's be honest. Well, about that, it. when you've got that, when you've got so many other needs, yes. is what I'm trying to yeah, get at. Absolutely. Uh, John McClain joined Burns and Gambo yesterday with Tim Ring sitting in for Gambo and told some great stories about his time covering JJ Watt, including one from the very beginning of his pro career, and that was uh, in 2011. You may remember that was the year there was the big lockout. So. Um, the there was very little movement in terms of players and signing. If you were drafted, you couldn't sign right away. J.J. Uh, Watt found himself with a little idle time on his hands. So here's John McClain telling a story from uh, 11 years ago. There was a family here named Barry, B-E-R-R-Y. It is a famous story here. They were coming back from Colorado on a vacation, and they had a rank in their van, killed the parents. Kids were, were had some form of paralysis. So it was a huge story here. The Houston Chronicle ran stories daily. And one day I read to the bottom of the story talking about local dignitaries, politicians, celebrities who would come visit those kids. And in the last paragraph, it said, New Texan J.J. Watt, nothing else. So when the lockout ended, I went to him. I said, Do you know the, did you know the Barry family before you got here? He said, no. I said, well, I saw you've been going to the hospital to visit the kids. And he goes, yeah. And I said, why? He said, well, I just... I was sitting around doing nothing during the lockout, so I went up there to see if there was anything I could do, and uh, I've gotten to know him, and he's still really good friends with these two kids, and that, that told me so much about him, and I asked him one time early in his career, why do you do so much in the community? He said, well, I'm single, but I don't want to go to bars or clubs, and I don't want to sit around on my sofa watching Sports Center, so I want to do stuff to help people, and when I get married, then I can lay around and Watch Sports Center. <laughs> yeah, McLean went on to tell stories about J.J. Watt paying for funerals. Mm-hmm. Obviously, his his work in, in fundraising for relief efforts in Houston after a hurricane in 2017, well-documented, won him the Walter Payton Man of the Year. Mm-hmm. $37 million raised in 19 days for, for hurricane relief. Um He's just he's a he's a shining example of what athletes should be, both how, on and off the field. How often do you have the trivecta of a genuinely good guy? A genuinely charismatic guy and a genuinely great player. It doesn't all happen. Three. It doesn't happen often. No. Yeah, that's a good point. And he is all those things. Yeah, listen, he 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 certainly delivered. I, I remember when he was signed. My my initial reaction was, "Wow, that's a big name!" And wow, was is this a PR related hire to kind of ease other concerns in a football team cl- clinging to relevance? Turned out to be turned out to be worth the money. Turned out to be the Cardinals that failed him. We put him in the same breath with AJ Green, aging star that they're signing just to make a, a splash with the name. 
<laughs> uh, compare what AJ Green has given the Cardinals compared to what JJ Watt right. gave them. Uh, that is true. I, 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 that's an interesting comparison. I think JJ Watt is a player. I, I, I guess they're both Hall of Famers. I know JJ Watt certainly is. Um, and I guess AJ Green would have to be as well. Yeah, it's a good comparison. It's not bad. I mean, uh, shut up, Jared. No. Okay. <laughs> Go back to bed. We're not certain on AJ Green, and obviously the impact in Arizona has been minimal. Mm. But. J.J. Watt is a first ballot kind of guy. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Um, by my, and it could be five if A.J. Green gets in, but I think this will be the fourth Hall of Famer that will have ended his career in Arizona. Emmett Smith. Uh-huh. Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner. Larry Kurt- Fitzgerald. Are you counting him? Yeah. No, because he started here. Okay. Um, oh, right. Oh, okay. J.J. Um, Watt and uh, Alan Fanica played a year here. Oh, and yeah. ended up in the Hall of Fame. Is it yeah, James? Is Edger and James in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Oh, I, I forgot Edge. One. There you go. He just got in. He just did. A lot of people on Twitter asking, do you think the Cardinals will offer J.J. Watt some kind of coaching or front office role? He doesn't want that. J.J. Watt's bigger than that. Yeah, he could make a mint in broadcasting. Yeah. Edger and James did not finish his career with the Cardinals. Played what? seven games for the Seahawks in 2009. Wow. Yeah. That's why I didn't. Do you remember it. that at all? Now that I think about it vaguely. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that trend could. And you're right. A.J. Green is probably a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Not based not on what for, he did not here. For, not first ballot, though. No. I don't think. No. No, 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 no. no. Um, and when John McClain, listening to that soundbite of him telling that story mm-hmm. about, and this is frivolous because it's it's a wonderful story to see J.J. Watt all these years later still have a relationship forged with that family. But how about two members with local ties of the 2011 draft class and the last name Barry, the experience they have? There was that experience with J.J. Watt with that family. Mm-hmm. Patrick Peterson had a much different experience with the name Barry. As, as a member of the 20th. <laughs> That's right. John H. Barry. That's right. You're right about still that. Still motivating him after all these years to play well against the Cardinals. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, so when it, what it boils down to is you can you can say, look, we got to watch a Hall of Fame player play the last two years of his career in Arizona. Now, what, did he play the same level he did in Houston? No, because if you look back at his early career, my goodness, that second year, 20 and a half sacks, won the Defensive Player of the Year award mm-hmm. that year. Two years later, and this doesn't get talked about enough, and I, it had slipped my mind. Not only did J.J. Watt win the Defensive Player of the Year award, in 2014, he scored five touchdowns. I remember that. I remember that season. It was almost like a weekly occurrence. It was, you know, he he would score touchdowns on offense. He would return fumbles for touchdowns. He had two he would on defense, interceptions for touchdowns. And he caught three passes for yeah. three touchdowns. Yeah, that's that right. Year. What did they, they call it? The megawatt package or something yeah, like that? That's right. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, no, listen, he's been, when it comes to dominating disruptive defensive linemen, he is right up to, he's at that head table with Reggie White and a handful of other dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Lawrence Taylor, Bruce Smith, Aaron Donald's in that club now. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's a loss, but enjoy the next two weeks of JJ Watt riding off into the sunset. Uh coming up next, we kick off the second half of the Wednesday show. Bix got your blast. It's Bigley Murata mornings, live from the Achin Community Studios here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.